Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. Last Sunday, we began a brand new series called Storyline. And uh, the premise of the series is that some of the greatest uh, storylines ever found are found in Scripture. And uh, these stories, these powerful narratives uh, found both in the Old Testament and many different stories there, as well as the New Testament and the parables of Jesus and so on and so forth, things that we've done, um, reveal that no matter how tough life gets, no matter how big uh, giants are before us, how impossible our circumstances appear, that God has the power to intervene and write a better story for us. Anyone believe that this morning? Amen. Amen. And if you missed last Sunday's message, you can go on our website and listen to it there at Bethesda.ca or you can subscribe to our podcast and uh, listen to it there and, and get all of our messages uh, in that place. Uh, Pastor Bruce shared uh, the first message last Sunday about Jesus' first miracle. You know, the story about Jesus turning water into wine. And he shared some amazing truths from that text and revealed such things as when your story is going wrong, to turn to Jesus. He said, obedience is the key ingredient to God showing up in our lives. He said, when Jesus is writing our story, the best is yet to come. And he also revealed that our story changes when we go from just following Jesus to believing in Jesus. And in his message, we see that God stepped right into that situation and wrote a brand new narrative, a brand new, a better story than where the story could have gone or how it could have ended. And this morning, I want to get right into the second part of this series and, and take a look at the, a story from the Old Testament that highlights an amazing example of who we should be as followers of Jesus Christ in every single situation, whether good or bad. And the person I want to talk about, and maybe you've heard about this gentleman, his name is Daniel. I want to talk about Daniel this morning, and I want to use his story as an example and as an encouragement of how we can respond when we face adversity and when we face opposition and when we face challenges and when life gets difficult. We will get into what he went through specifically in a moment, but let me just say that Daniel went through some stuff. Anyone here this morning have gone through some things? You've gone through some stuff? Am I the only one? I'm sure if we did a poll of this congregation, most everybody's been through some things. And we never all went through the same things, but we've been through some stuff, right? And Daniel went through some things. He, life for Daniel wasn't all roses, as we say. He endured challenge after challenge after challenge, but, but amen, through it all, God was with him. And helped him to overcome everything that he faced. His faith didn't waver one bit when trouble came. But he stayed true to following God no matter what came. He demonstrated what it means to have a faith for every situation. And in every situation. And not to have a situational faith. A faith that is... A situational faith is dependent upon circumstances. But you see, some people's faith... Uh, is dependent upon what's going on in their lives at that time. So in, in other words, some people have faith when life is going good, but when struggles come and things come against them, their faith seems to uh, vanish or they abandon their faith. They throw in the towel spiritually. 
But Daniel's faith stayed constant in the good, the bad, and the ugly. And because he did, God used him in a, uh, in a situation that was not ideal, to say the least. God used him in a difficult situation. How many know here this morning that, that some of the greatest life lessons that you can learn comes through difficult seasons in life? You see, it's in those tough seasons, in those hard times, in the middle of a test that we can re- learn to rely upon and trust in the Lord. And, and when these tests come, we need to know how to stay faithful to God, trusting in him, trusting that he will intervene and write a better story for us just as he did with Daniel. Let's, uh, let's bow him for a word of prayer as we seek the favor of God and the blessing of God upon our time here this morning. As he would, uh, we need him and I need him this morning. That he would bless this time into our hearing. Father, this word into our hearing. Father, have your way in this place. We're so thankful, Lord, that we've sent your presence as we worship you and as we, as, we, as we give you the praise and glory. And I pray right now that you will be in this place as we look into your word. Remove every distraction. Remove everything that, Lord, would take our attention away from your word. And, Father, I pray that we would receive what the Spirit of the Lord wants to say through your servant this morning. Help me to preach your word that it may find good ground here this morning and may touch some heart, encourage someone in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said, amen. Looking this morning to Daniel chapter 6, if you're not familiar where Daniel is, it's in the Old Testament, a little over halfway. If you know where Psalms is, keep going and keep flipping until you find Daniel. If you're into the, all these weird names, you see uh, Zephaniah and all those different names to pronounce, go back a few. He's before that, all right? That's all the major prophets. Uh, beginning, it's also on the screen. It's on the version uh, event uh, page. And so I encourage you to follow along there as well. There's all the notes included as well. It's also in the Word of God here. So Daniel chapter 6, a little bit lengthy, but... Uh, feel it's important to give the word and give it in context. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they will be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. Say an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. And then the commissioners and the satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regards to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption. Inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Verse 5 says, Then these men said, We will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. And then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes any petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. And here they come. They come with a plan. They come deceptively before the king. And they start to praise him up. You know, and they start to, you know, put him up, you know, on a pedestal. And they start to stroke his eagle. And, uh, you know, so 
so that he can accomplish their plan. It says, Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, Darius, King Darius signed the document that is the injunction. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in, the, in his roof chamber, he had windows open towards Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. And then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. And then they approached and spoke before the king of, about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes petition to any God or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, the statement is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. And then they answered and spoke before the king. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but keeps making his petitions three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard his statement, this statement, they, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. Even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him because the king liked Daniel and he wasn't thinking of him when he agreed to this whole thing. And then the men came by agreement to the king and said, O king, recognize, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or statute which the king established may be changed. And the king gave orders and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke to Daniel and said, or spoke and said to Daniel, your God whom you constantly serve will himself deliver you. A stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring. Reminds me of the, a New Testament story as well, amen? Where someone was put and the stone was set across. Sealed it with his own signet ring, that the signet rings of his nobles, so that nothing would be changed in regards to Daniel. And then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled before him. Down to verse 23. It says, Then the king arose at dawn, and at the break of dawn he went in haste to the lion's den. And when he had come near to the den of Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me inasmuch as I was found innocent before him, and also towards you, O king, and I have committed no crime. Last verse. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. May God bless the reading of his word this morning and to our hearing. Amen? I believe I mentioned this before, but while attending university in Corner Brook, way back in 98, 99, I began to sense the call of God into ministry. And God began to deal with me and began to speak to me and to my, speak to my spirit and tell me he wanted me to go to Bible college, something I did not want to do, nor thought I was capable of doing, going into the ministry. Actually, that idea came to me in in the last year of my high school, but I ignored it and enrolled in university trying to run from the Lord. And I had a brother and sister go, and I didn't want to follow in their footsteps to say that I was just doing that for the sake of that. Now, I had a hard <laughs> so I tried to run from the Lord. Now, at that time, and even right now, I have a hard enough time trying to run at all. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
let alone run from the Lord. But still, I tried to pull a Jonah, if you know the story in the Old Testament, and run from what God wanted me to do. And I, I'm glad it didn't take being swallowed by a whale to, to get me to change my mind instead of, instead of a whale. God instead removed my ability to sleep and to eat. Now, come here and chuckles. Don't get before me. Don't go ahead of me. Now, for a student, sleep is often a luxury. And we got a lot of students here. Sleep is often a luxury you can't afford. And so I could deal with the insomnia. Used to it. But when God took away my appetite, I knew it was the Holy Spirit dealing with me. I didn't need a burning bush like Moses. I just needed to, to be turned off by wings and nachos and, you know, and not to be able to eat it, you know, something I love. And so I got the forms off the pastor's daughter from the church I was attending when I was in there in that city, and I enrolled. And up to that current point in time, I'd never been on a plane before. Uh, and so this was my first flight from Deer Lake on the west coast of this province to Toronto. I remember flying in at night. I was looking at the window. I was like, oh, my goodness, look at all the lights. Never seen a city so big. And then someone tapped me in the arm. I looked at it this way. I was like, oh, my goodness, they're there as well, as far as the eye can see. I was like, where in the world am I going to? And so I landed. And my sister picked me up. She lived in Oshawa. And, uh, and so I had some family living right in the middle of Toronto and Peterborough where the campus was. And her and her husband came and picked me up. And I spent a few days with them, of course, with family before we packed everything up and drove me out to what's known as EPBC, what was known as EPBC, Eastern Pentecostal Bible College. They helped me bring my suitcases in and the things that I had purchased that I would need. And on a side note, she gave me a 386 computer. Now, I don't know if you guys know, especially some of the younger generation knows what a 386 computer is, but it's a, the tower was massive. In fact, I, you could install legs on it and use it as a coffee table. <laughs> this thing was big. I remember it was like I was getting to work at going over, you know. And uh, it was a beast, but it got the job done. Windows 95 on it. The big five and a half floppy or five, you know, the big one. Looked like a record. And then the, the smaller one as well. Three and a half floppy or whatever it was called. And, uh, you know, it was free. So how many know that when you're a student, free is one of the most favorite words that you have in your vocabulary? Amen. And so they helped me settle into my room. My roommate was supposed to be a third year. I was in a big corner room. I had a, a great room. And he was supposed to arrive through three or four days later or whenever it was. And so after saying goodbyes, and they shut the door, and I was here alone in my room. At this point, I really haven't met anybody. And those first few moments after my sister and her, and her husband left, my, the reality of what was going on really hit me. Door shut, I'm looking at my stuff, and I'm in a place I've never been. And I begin to wonder if I'd made the right decision. You ever question yourself? You ever start to get doubt, start to creep in? Has God really said? <laughs> I was hearing that. That's, that sounds familiar too. Did God really say? You're supposed to move halfway across the country. Did God really say this was his will for your life? For a little while, I was there alone in my room. I'd be starting to get uneasy and start to get unsure of my decision and start to, start to doubt everything. But, of course, after I went out of my room, met some of the guys on the floor, those feelings quickly left. And, and before my roommate arrived in that room, I ended up moving into another room with one of the guys that I had developed a friendship really quickly, and we became the best of friends. Have, never had one disagreement all semester. And uh, still, still connected to him. 
You know, it's challenging, it's challenging enough to make a decision to leave home and end up in a place where you've never been. But, you know, it's quite another thing to end up in a place you've never been when the decision wasn't yours to make or it was forced against your will. I know many of you here this morning can relate to finding yourself in an unfamiliar place. There are many here today who has come to this great nation of Canada from, from somewhere else, and this morning you feel so far away from home. And whether that decision was yours or whether it was a result of circumstances outside of your control, it's not easy ending up in a place somewhere you've never been, especially when the weather is wonderful as it is today. Well, as we consider Daniel's story, we can see that he can certainly relate to that reality. His story begins in Daniel chapter 1. And here we see in verse 1 that in the third year of the, of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. And it's not on the screen, but verse 2 says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of, king of Judah, into his hand. Now, I want to give you a little context so you know what's happening here and why this is happening here. There was a time when the people of God, known as the nation of Israel, were led by kings. All right? The first king was a man by the name of Saul, and he led, you know, the nation of Israel around 1020 B.C., a few days ago. And then David became the second king around 20 years later. And when David was up in years, just before his death, his own son, Solomon, uh, ruled as a third king of Israel. Then in, in 930 B.C., the kingdom of Israel was divided into a northern kingdom known as the kingdom of Israel, and then the southern kingdom known as the kingdom of Judah. And in total, during the time that there was kings reigning in, that, in those two places, 40 kings reigned. You know how many of them were men of God? Do you know how many of them followed the Lord? Only eight. Eight out of 40 of those kings was godly, that followed after God. They were known as righteous kings. And the rest got involved in things like idol worship and all sorts of things that displeased God. And they ignored the, the commands of God to be faithful to, to him. They turned their back on the ways of God and the word of God and lived in ways that, that, that was not uh, godly whatsoever. Something interesting as I was studying is that because of their sin, the people of Israel who had gotten themselves into idolatry, they were carried off as captives, a captive to Babylon, a center of idolatry. And one of the most wicked cities in the ancient world. It is significant, as one scholar says, that after the Babylonian captivity, idolatry never again came and became a major temptation to Israel. Turn their stomachs, as we say. God, it's like God saying, you want idolatry? Well, I'll show you idolatry. Let me see how much idol worship you want to get involved in after I send you into Babylon. It's going to turn your stomach. And so because of their idolatry and sin over and over through the prophets of God, God spoke to them and warned them that if they didn't change their ways, that God was going to send judgment upon that nation. God was good to his word because God is a loving God, but God is also a just God. And so God allowed them to be taken into captivity by this group known as the Babylonians. And so that is what is happening here in the first chapter of Daniel. That is a context for Daniel's story. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, which is found in modern-day Iraq, he came to Jerusalem, the capital city of the southern kingdom, with his army and overthrew the king and took people as prisoners. And included in that group of captives was a man by the name of Daniel. 
Now, while in Babylon, he was selected to serve in the king's palace and got enrolled in a three-year training program. The requirements were to, were to be selected were this. They had to have no physical defect. They had to be good-looking. They had to be intelligent. They had to have wisdom. They had to be endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and they had to show the ability for serving in the king's palace. Not everyone was chose for this. You had to be somebody. And so for three years, they were to learn everything that there was to learn about Babylonians. They had to learn the language. They had to learn the history. They had to learn the culture. And Daniel, along with three of his friends, were given new names as well. So to Daniel was given the name Belshazzar, and to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. They were completely, even new names, they were, it was like the guys were saying, we're going to completely change you. You're going to become Babylonians. And so Daniel, in this not-so-ideal situation, he has a decision to make. Was he going to give up on God, or was he going to find a way to serve the Lord in a foreign place? Would he live like the Babylonians and just sort of adopt everything that's in their culture, or would he live counter-culturally? We know that he had wisdom, and so he uses that wisdom to figure out how to remain faithful to God in an ungodly place. And I just want to stop right here and say that serving Jesus is a decision that you have to make. That God is able to show up in your story if you do not allow situations to determine your faith. Serving a Jesus is a decision. Not going to happen by osmosis. You've got to make up your mind to serve the Lord. Daniel would not let situations determine his faith. He, he decided that in every situation, he's going to serve the Lord. One Bible scholar says, in exile, Daniel did not raise issues about non-issues. He wisely chose to deal with those matters that were of concern to his faith. In a foreign court and in a pagan environment, he could have tried to bear witness, to criticize, or to reconstruct the Babylonian system. Instead, devotion, service, discretion, diligence characterized Daniel's life. This servant of the great king feared the Lord of creation while he served a human king. And so, Daniel made up his mind. He resolved himself to be faithful to God. He resolved himself to serve the Lord and to honor the Lord even though he was a long ways from home. He would not allow situations to determine his faith. He would not allow challenges or even that culture he was in to determine where he was going with God. He made up his mind early on and said, I may be in a strange place. I may be in a, in a nation I've never been in before, but you know what? No matter what, I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm going to serve the Lord. Church, if you want to ensure that situations and challenges won't determine your faith, you need to make up your mind to serve the Lord no matter what. And so when the first challenge came, which was concerning what he would eat or drink, which went against his own personal convictions, he found a way to be faithful to God. Daniel 1 and 8 and 9 says, But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. And so he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and his compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. 
Daniel had wisdom to present a challenge back to those over him. And he said, just give me and my friends uh, 10 days and, and give us just vegetables or water and water and see if we're not in better health. And, of course, they were. And so they remained faithful to God in the face of possible defilement. And because he and his friends were faithful to God, God was faithful to them and blessed them with knowledge and, and, and intelligence and wisdom and the ability to interpret dreams and visions. Daniel's favor from God was a direct result of his faith in God. And church, if you want to stay faithful, next slide. If you want to, keep going. Am I talking too fast? That happens a lot. If you, if, if you want to stay faithful to God, you can, you can position, or if you stay faithful to God, you can position yourself to receive favor from God. And then the next challenge came. I believe it's in Daniel chapter 2 where they could have lost their lives. The king has a dream one night and he, he came and told the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the, and the astrologers to, to not only interpret a dream that he has, but to tell him what the dream was. He says, if you can't do it, you're all dead. Every last one of you. Of course, he said, man, there's no way, king, that we can do this. This is too hard. And so he says, every last one of you is going to die. Daniel hears about that order. He doesn't panic. He doesn't, you know, freak out. He doesn't get angry, but he has the wisdom and tactfulness to know what to do. He speaks to the commander of the king's guard and requests an opportunity to, to determine the dream and its meaning. He said, just give me an opportunity. We'll figure it out. The king agreed, and Daniel and his three friends sought the Lord in prayer. And the Bible says in Daniel 2.19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, and then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And so Daniel goes to the king and, and tells him not only what his dream is, but what it means. And he tells him this is all a work of God. And so after that, Daniel and his three friends were promoted to positions of authority in the kingdom. And as the story continues, we see that Daniel served in the kingdom for several years under several kings. And after Nebuchadnezzar died and his son Belshazzar died, another king named Darius comes to power. And here we find that Daniel faces the biggest test in his life. He faces the the most challenging test of all, which is being face-to-face -face with going into a lion's den. And now there are some lessons and truths that I want to, uh, to reveal to you this morning to help you walk in Daniel's footsteps so that, when you have, so that you too can have faith for every situation and not to have a situational faith. The first way to have a faith for every situation and to have God write your story is to live right, no matter what. Live right. I think it's next slide, my brother. Keep on going. Oh, sorry, never mind. Don't go too fast. There we go. Live right, no matter what. I think I'm one ahead of you. I'm not sure. Because of his extraordinary spirit, because of the favor that was on his life. Here we go. Thank you. The king was going to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Here is this foreigner, this person that never grew up in Babylon, and rose, that rose up through the ranks and was going to be the king's right-hand man. Now when the other leaders who were Babylonians heard about this, they got quite upset. And so they're saying, we got to take this Daniel down. He's going to take our jobs. He's, he's, he's going to be over all of us. And he's not even from Babylon. And as he studied his life, they knew that the only way to take him down was to Find something between his that would interfere with his relationship with God. 
They knew that God was number one in his life and that he was faithful to God. And so he said, you know, if we're going to find something, it's got to be there. But as they start to do some investigation, or they said, we will not find any ground of accusation against Daniel unless it has something to do with love as God. Now, there's a word in the church that we use that's called righteous. Some of you may have heard that word before. It simply means right living. Righteous, right living. It means living in a way that pleases God, that is in line with the principles uh, uh, found in the word of God. There was something very different about Daniel's life, and people saw it. He had an extraordinary spirit. It mentions it in chapter 5 as well, that he saw that he had an extraordinary spirit. He distinguished himself by living right, and he decided ahead of time that, no, you know what? No matter what's going to happen, I'm going to live right. Living right, church, doesn't happen by accident. You have to make up your mind to live right day after day after day after day. Living right enables us to react to situations in a godly way. Not that you're perfect, but you're resolving yourself to live right. Living right is an open invitation to God to, to write the story of your life in all situations. It's an open invitation. You say, God... When you live right, you're saying, God, write my story. Take the pen, Lord. Write my story. I want to live for you. Of course, living right does not mean that your life is void of trouble, but it ensures that when trouble comes, you have God in you, that you have God for you, that you have God with you. That through every challenge, that he's right there. And through every challenge, Daniel chose to live right before, right, right before God, and God was faithful to him as he had been faithful to God. And church, if you're faithful to God, if you live right for God, he'll be faithful to you. If you make up your mind to live right and live every day for God, I guarantee that you will develop in your life a steadfast faith that will not waver when difficult seasons and moments come. So live right. Decide to live right no matter what. Secondly, to have a faith for every situation and to have God write your story, be reliant on God no matter what. Be reliant on him no matter what. Verse 10 and 11 from the message says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the, where the windows opened towards Jerusalem, and three times a day got on his knees, and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as they'd done before. And then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Daniel's response wouldn't panic, but Daniel's response was prayer. Daniel got down on his knees and prayed to God. He was a man of prayer. He was in tune with God. He, he knew the voice of God. He was a man who relied upon God. He, he relied upon God for his salvation. He relied upon God for his provision. He relied upon God for his protection. He relied upon God for big things as well as little things. He, he relied upon God during the good times and the bad times. He relied upon God on a day today basis. And church, you know what? Prayer is a powerful tool that can bring about plot twists in your story. Anyone can say amen to that? I want to read it again. Prayer is a powerful tool that can bring about plot twists in your story. No doubt when the commissioners and satraps caught him praying, they figured, you know, we, we finally got him. We got him. They were half right. Prayer did determine the outcome in Daniel's life. But there was a surprise ending. There was a plot twist to his story as God steps in. 
miraculously comes to his aid and shuts the lion's mouth. God turned the situation completely around. And you know the funny thing is, those who accused him were the, were the ones that were thrown into the lion's den. God's a God of turnarounds. God is a God of turnarounds. And church prayer has the power to determine the outcomes of situations in your life. It has the power to turn situations right around in your life. Like Daniel in all situations, church, be relied upon God. Be prayerful. And not only set yourself up to experience his presence and his provision, but his power as well in your life. And thirdly, to have a faith for every situation and to have God write your story. Resolve yourself. Resolve yourself to serve God no matter what. Daniel knew. I mean, he's up. He's, you know, he's been in the kingdom. He's been serving. He knows what the rules are. He knows what the consequences of going against king's decree is. He knows that this could cost him his life. That this could very well be the end of his story. But you see, back in chapter 3 of Daniel, we see the consequences of disobedience to the king's command. As Daniel's three friends, they were thrown into a fiery furnace because they would not worship a, an idol. Of course, they came out unharmed. You can read the story on your own time. Daniel chapter 3, as God shows up. And they see, they said, they see the fourth man in the fire. It's called, a, in theological terms, a Christophany. It's the pre-incarnate Christ. Christ seen as God before he was even born. So Daniel knew that God, as God came to the rescue of his three friends, he could come to Daniel's aid. But his response was the same as his friends. Regardless, no matter what, I ain't bound to nothing. I'm going to live for God no matter what. He resolved himself to serve the Lord. He knew the purpose of the lion's den was not for a circus show. He knew that the purpose of the lion's den was to destroy those who went against the king. And that did not stop him or hinder him. Or he didn't go in and shut. You know, we have prayer closets and that's good. He goes in and opens his, you know, opens the windows. Nothing's changed. The Bible says when he heard about it, and I love Daniel's uh, intestinal fortitude. That he, when he hears about the command, he, he goes to his upstairs room and where the windows were open towards Jerusalem and he starts to pray, God, I thank you. God, I honor you. God, I worship you. Lord, you're my all in all. You're everything to me and I lift you up. And he starts to thank him. Thank you for how you've been with me. Thank you for how you've delivered me. Thank you for how you've been with me in this foreign land. And he starts to pray. And he's not quiet about it because these guys could hear him. He did what he always did and that edict didn't affect his relationship. He was, a, he was a person of resolve. He was a person who was determined to follow God no matter what the cost was. He was a person devoted to serving not just the king of that country, but the king of all creation. And because of his resolve and because of that decision to follow God, he was taken, thrown into that den of hungry lions. It's funny because it appeared that his resolve to serve God would cost him his life, but it was the other way around. It saved his life. 
God sent an angel and shut the mouth of those lines. And the next morning, the king calls, hey, Daniel, are you okay? And he says, oh, yeah, nothing to it. <laughs> God came, shut those lines, mouth. I'm all right. You know. The second part of verse 23, as I begin to wrap this message up, I'm going to invite the musicians to return. The second part of verse 23 reveals why he came out alive. It says, no injury was found on him because he had what? Trusted in his God. You know what? As we look at Daniel's life, we know what we see. We can see a consistent pattern in his life. And here it is. Daniel trusted in his God. When he lived in Judah before he was taken, guess what? He trusted in his God. When he was taken captive to Babylon, he trusted in his God. When he was promoted in the kingdom, didn't get, his head didn't get all puffed up. Guess what? He trusted in his God. When he heard about the king's edict, he trusted in his God. When he was about to enter into that lion's den, he trusts in his God. And church, if you continually trust God, if you continually trust God, there's no, absolutely no limit to what your story can be. Amen? Amen? There's no limit whatsoever to what God can write. And God's an awesome writer. And he can write your story in a beautiful way. He can make the ending of your story, which is, can be an eternal one, a story that continues forever if you trust him, serve him. Daniel trusted in his God no matter what happened in life. He resolved to serve God. His eyes were not on a situation, but on his God. And because he kept his eyes on God, Daniel impacted Babylon in a way that maybe he never ever dreamed. Maybe, I don't know. This place full of idolatry that was not even close to anything what he came out of. Check this out. After the incident, the king issues a new decree. You know what he said? I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, Men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. Before the God of Daniel. God didn't just change Daniel's story. You know what he changed? He changed the story of that culture and the country Daniel was in. And church, what story this morning can God write in your life? What story can God write at your school or at your university or college? What story can God write at your place of employment? What story can God write in this city? If we resolve ourselves to no matter what, that we are going to serve the Lord. You know, I believe what would happen. I honestly believe that we would see God show up. You see, God has not changed, right? God showed up then and he can show up now. I believe we would see his power in people's lives. That he would change stories, write new stories, show up in a way that only he can, turn this city upside down by the power and presence of God. So this morning, do you have a situational faith? Do you have a faith that goes by how things are going? Or do you have a deep faith in God that's deep-rooted? that comes from being in a small group, that comes from regular engagement and worship, that comes from serving and, and giving and all these sorts of things that we've been talking about. 
Do you have that kind of faith in God for every situation that life can throw at you? To have a faith for every situation and have God pick up the pen over your life and write your story. You need to live right no matter what. You need to be relying on God no matter what. And you need to resolve yourself to serve the Lord no matter what. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.